Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. In the beginning of Mark's Gospel, the ministry of Jesus was summarized with the words, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came to teach. Though people were attracted to him because of the miracles he performed, it was the teaching of Jesus that was of greater significance to his ministry. Everywhere he went, Jesus taught. He taught in the synagogue, at the home of Simon Peter, out in the wilderness, along the Sea of Galilee, and up on a mountain. But the content of his messages so far has either been left out by Mark or shortened to a brief summary statement. But now, we finally have a significant block of Jesus' teaching. And that's purposeful. And Mark has put a lot of thought into the arrangement of his gospel account. There's an overall structure to his book. He tells the story of Jesus in three acts. The first act describes his Galilean ministry. The second act is the road to Jerusalem. And the final act is about the climactic events in Jerusalem. And throughout the entire book of Mark, there are only two large blocks of teaching. The first occurs right in the middle of the first act, which is chapter four. And the other is located in the middle of the final act, chapter 13. Both blocks of teaching provide the key to interpreting the narratives that immediately precede and follow the teaching. A significant theme so far in the narratives has been the distinctions made among people by their varying response to the message of Jesus. There was the enthusiastic response and commitment of the initial disciples who gave up their fishing business to follow Jesus, and they eventually became part of the inner circle of Jesus' followers. There were crowds of people who were amazed when Jesus cast out a demon and taught as one with authority, but they also provoked Jesus to withdraw to the desert. There was the leper who came to Jesus for healing, but was immediately disobedient to Jesus's command to remain silent. Then great crowds blocked the way to Jesus, but some people of great faith made a way through the roof of the house to bring their friend to Jesus. Then there's the response of the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Herodians who questioned Jesus and began plotting his death. Last week, we saw the skepticism of Jesus' own family who tried to seize control of Jesus. But the most extreme reaction was that of the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. They ascribed the work of Jesus to the work of Satan. And so the same message 
spoken by the same Jesus has yielded a wide variety of responses. Why? Was Jesus not winsome enough? Did his messages need work? Or is the problem with the audience? This block of teaching provides the answer. Last week, we saw the first instance of one of Mark's signature literary techniques, the sandwiching of one story in the middle of another story. The stories are always related with the meat of the Markan sandwich being the key to interpreting the bread. This passage contains the second Markan sandwich. The first slice of bread is what's commonly known as the parable of the sower. And the second slice of bread is the explanation of the parable. But the meat, verses 10 through 13, explain the use of parables and the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, since the meat provides the interpretive key, I'm going to start there. In those verses, Mark is breaking from a strict chronology of events because verses 21 through the end of the chapter go back to Jesus' teaching to the crowd from the Sea of Galilee. But verses 10 through 20 occur sometime later when Jesus is away from the crowds and with his true followers. And they asked him why he speaks in parables. A parable is a teaching whose meaning does not lie on the surface, but demands investigation, thought, and even an amount of insight, so that what is actually communicated by the parable will depend on the listener. A simple way to think of a parable is that it's like a political cartoon. To someone with absolutely no knowledge of politics or current events, when they look at a political cartoon, they can see the image and discern the elements. They, they can read the captions or dialogue. But without the insight, the meaning is completely lost. However, for someone who is aware of what's being depicted, satire can be an effective method of communication. How much you get out of it depends on how much you bring to it. But not everyone who hears the message of Jesus understands it. For those outside, Jesus said, everything is in parables. But he assured his closest followers, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And so the ultimate distinction is made. There are those on the outside who are puzzled by the parables, and there are those on the inside who have been given the secret. Jesus then compares his ministry to that of the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was a faithful man, but he was called to preach to an unfaithful people. People who will see him and hear him speak, but they won't have any comprehension of his message, at least not in the way of obedience. His audience will not repent, which means that judgment is inevitable. The exile is happening. But even though God knows that's the case, Isaiah is still called to preach. At first glance, the commission of Isaiah, quoted in verse 12, 
appears to suggest that he should be purposefully obtuse in his message so that the people won't turn and be forgiven. But that can't be right. God wants his people to repent. So then what's going on? Although there's differences in interpretation, it's possible that this commission is ironic or sarcastic, which is a hard thing to get across in writing. But if you were to ratchet up the sarcasm, the commission could be rendered, as one scholar suggested, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, because the last thing they want is to turn and have their sins forgiven. In other words, Isaiah's message will be met with indifference or hostility because his audience doesn't want to repent. They enjoy sinning. They love their idols. But he's called to preach to them anyway. Like an airline stewardess who must go through the safety demonstration because, before every flight because it's a matter of life and death. We all see and hear it but tone it out. But the airline requires those speeches because they're important. The message of the gospel is of far greater significance, and many people have been exposed to it, but they don't listen. Jesus experienced that. Though he has some followers who actually listen to his teaching, he has crowds of fans who've received his healing, but not his teaching. And he has religious leaders attacking him and plotting his death. But he doesn't spurn the crowds to focus on his inner circle. He continues to faithfully preach the gospel to all, even though he knows it will only take root in some. He knows that the problem isn't with the message, but with the audience. In the private meeting with his followers, Jesus assured them that they have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. They are not on the outside. Which is interesting because the disciples clearly didn't understand the parables. But unlike the crowds, they stayed with Jesus and they asked him about what the parables meant. And Jesus explained the parables meaning to them. The true disciples are hungry to learn and understand the word of God. And Jesus is happy to make it plain to them. But before doing so, he said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Which suggests that this is a parable about parables. Understanding this parable will help them understand others. So let's go now back to the beginning of the chapter. Jesus is once again on the Sea of Galilee. He seems to prefer this public location to the synagogue as he's able to openly teach to large crowds of people. In fact, this one is so large that he taught from a boat. Mark used an unusual phrase, which the ESV rendered less awkwardly, but the Greek says that he having got into a boat, sat in the sea. It's possible that this is an allusion to Psalm 29, verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood, which would once again put Jesus in the place of God. 
But what's clear is that the boat is his pulpit. Though there's no way of knowing exactly where this occurred, there's a natural amphitheater situated between Capernaum and Tabga, where the land slopes gently down to a bay, known today as the Bay of Parables. Israeli scientists have verified that the shape of it can transmit a human voice effortlessly to several thousand people on the shore. And so it would be an ideal place to teach from. The Greek word that Mark used to describe the audience on the land is the same one used for soil throughout the parable. Jesus is sowing the word as he preaches from the boat. He begins with a command to listen, similar to one of the most familiar passages to Jewish people, which begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The call to hear is not a call to make sure your ears receive the proper vibrations. It's a call to pay attention, to listen, and ultimately to respond with obedience. The parable is one of the most well-known of the parables. Though it's often called the parable of the sower, it's not really about the sower. The focus is on the seed and the various soils in which it falls. There's a progression in the seed. The first never started. The second started, but died. The third managed to survive, but it never produced any grain. And so it, like the other seed, was of no value to the farmer, since the sower isn't looking for the mere survival of his plants, but a harvest. Now, I know what it's like from personal experience to have a tomato plant grow tall and look impressive, but never yield a single tomato. In the parable, the fate of the seeds was put in terms of what happened to them. They were eaten by birds, scorched by the sun, and choked by weeds. But the final seeds landed in good soil, and they grew and produced bountiful harvests, yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold of what was planted. The meaning, as Jesus explained to his true disciples, is that the seed is the word of God. Just as the seed is scattered about the entire field indiscriminately, even falling among the path outside the field, the sower, who is looking for the largest yield possible, sows generously everywhere. The same seed, but different soil. The same word of God, but different people. Some with ears to hear, and others who have no desire to turn from their ways to God. Like a stained glass window, which is beautiful to look at from the inside, is dull and uninteresting from the outside. Those whose hearts are far from the Lord are on the outside, and so they find the word of God to be of little value. But to those on the inside, it is the word of life to be enjoyed and put to use. 
The variety of responses to the word preached is shown in its interpretation. There are some who hear the word preached but have no understanding of it. It goes in one ear and out the other. These are described as being victims of Satan who comes and takes the word away. The second group of people seem promising. They hear the word of God and find it interesting, but they fail to develop roots. The word doesn't become core to their life so that when external pressures come into play, whether tribulation or persecution, they immediately fall away. They succumb to the influence of the world. The third group is not ruined by outside pressure, but inward struggles with their own sinful flesh. Their love of the world and desire for wealth get in the way of a true desire for the word. These three seeds fall victim to the classic three enemies of the soul described by the Puritans, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Without a work done in the heart, which can only be done by God, we are hopelessly captive to the world, the flesh, and the devil, dominated by sinful thoughts, actions, and deeds. But if you have ears to hear, then the Lord has plowed the soil of your heart so that though you are still influenced by those enemies of God, you are not dominated by them. And you will be easily identified by your fruit, whether you produce 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. Now, I want to be clear here. The purpose of this parable isn't to make you worry about what type of soil you are. If you have faith in Jesus and you believe that he is the Son of God and your Savior, then you are good soil. And the secret to the kingdom of God has been given to you. Even if there's still much more for you to understand, and learn to appreciate about the kingdom. And I guarantee that there is. There's a lifetime of things to learn about the kingdom of God. The purpose of this parable is to explain the different reactions to the gospel message so that as you sow seed, you won't be discouraged when it doesn't produce magnificent harvests every time. The problem isn't with the seed. You don't need to make the word of God more attractive or palatable. As beautiful as the sanctuary is, the message of God is the same here as it is anywhere else that it's faithfully preached. The quality of the music, the lights, the coffee, the signage, the production has no effect on the seed or the soil, which is a great comfort. This parable takes the pressure off to achieve results. Your job is simply to share the word. Maybe not in the same way that I am and as Josh is, but we're all called to live out the word of God and to teach it to others, our children, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. 
and anyone who God providentially places in your path. Just as someone sowed the word of God in your life, you are called to sow the word to others. And we should do it like the sower in this parable, indiscriminately, not trying to prejudge the soil to save time and effort, but rather we should sow the word of God everywhere we go. And know that the word will have its intended effect as it falls upon fertile ground. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 